They're gusting to 20 miles an hour. The barometer reads 30 inches, and it is rising. These highlights in the news at this hour. About 30 of the city's better-known restaurants hit in selective strike by the waiters' union against members of the Restaurant League of New York. Several restaurant owners warned that the union's demands could put restaurants out of business. Former City Addiction Services Agency head Dr. Ephraim Ramirez charged with obtaining $28,000 in city payments for psychiatric treatment he never provided. President Nixon has already begun working on plans for streamlining and reorganizing the executive branch of the government. And that's the latest from the WOR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. And now here is Gene Shepard. A part of our continuing uh, deeply involved uh, public service programming here at this deeply involved radio station, <laughs> we uh, are going to take this opportunity to salute another one of those minority groups in our in our midst that rarely gets recognized: the sneaky people. And uh, well, you, you know, let's face it. Of course, that's kind of a hard salute to make because uh, from time to time, almost all of us are sneaky. So, you know, you, 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 you range back and forth between legitimacy and kicking somebody in the you-know-what. So, you know, you can't, uh, can't make any definite uh, statements about that. However, I will tell you, sneakiness takes all forms. And I would like to salute tonight, if I may, a particularly sneaky uh, uh, ploy that I saw by an unknown composer. Now, uh, one of the great unknown people in our midst are the guys that write the theme music for commercials. <laughs> now, you know, that's you just don't know who writes that stuff, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, all the movies, if some guy writes a theme music, you know, he comes out and plays the harmonica, you know, immediately uh, five rock groups record it. A uh, guy records it on the organ and stereophonic. Uh, his name is famous, the composer, you know, and he gets real big, like, you know, Mancini and these guys. But what about those unsung heroes that record those little brief... Uh, 30 seconds of uh, 
music, that little snippet, you know, that comes behind the lady removing the tea stains. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, the, these guys have got their own little, uh, little subtle, sneaky sense of humor. I, I'm in the studio the other day, and whoever he is, I'd like to salute this guy. He's a very interesting type. Uh, he's got a, really a sardonic sense of humor. And, uh, you know, most of the humor that is really good, great, groovy humor is humor that is not telegraphed. It uh, seems to be very serious. That's, that's the real humor. As a matter of fact, yeah, <laughs> I have to tell you my own, uh, my own business here, which is uh, ostensibly making people laugh occasionally. I get, uh, see, I say that uh, very, uh, very modestly. I'm not like, uh, you know, the other types like Woody Allen will loudly say what he does is make people laugh. You know, it's a very big thing. In fact, he has it in the yellow book, uh, Laughs, Inc., uh, with two Fs. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I, uh, I uh, continually get letters from people who actually who write to me and say, Mr. Shepard, I'm not sure that you realize what you said the other night was quite humorous. Uh, me and my husband, Charles, are wonderful fans of John Gambling, and I would like to say that what you said last night was... Now, I'm sure you didn't mean it that way, however. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're starting to get, uh, you know, you're starting to hear the, hear the music. I mean, any, anybody can see the side of a building. It, it's, the, it's the subtle one that can hear the faint whispering of bells. But nevertheless, I'd like to salute this unknown composer who really pulled a, a goodie... I'm in the studio, you know, we're recording a commercial. Now, for those of you who've never been present at a, at a recording of, a, you know, like a major network commercial or something, it's quite an operation, I'll tell you. It really is. There's 15, 20 people. And you know who's never there? This is going to surprise you. The sponsor is never there. Uh, people tend to think, you know, the sponsor's sitting there all the time and hollering, no, 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 no way. I've never been at one of these affairs when the sponsor was present, which reminds me, uh, uh, do you have a little goodie in there from one of our sponsors, uh, George, please, hit the money button. That's the green one there with the dollars on it. May I speak to the Red Baron of Lufthansa German Airlines? You may inform him that the ambassador from the Republic of Marzipania is here. I'm sorry, sir, but the Marzipania, Red Baron is Marzipania, they make them little chocolate Hiring bananas. Japanese stewardesses who speak foreign Marzipania languages. Marzipania bananas. far eastern routes. Nothing is too good for the Red Baron's passengers. Nothing. Yes. Well, I have come to lodge a formal protest with the Red Baron. His Lufthansa German Airlines flies to more than 66 countries in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa, even Australia. This is true. Lufthansa is one of the world's biggest airlines. Then why doesn't Lufthansa fly to my country, Marzipania? Right now, the only way in and out of Marzipania is by bus. And if I had not missed last week's bus, I would have been here sooner. Mr. Ambassador, just where is Marzipania? That's just why we want Lufthansa German Airlines to fly there. If anybody can find it, Lufthansa can. Marzipania is also complaining. He's a red baron shot it down the 14 Marzipania planes. We saw one bullet. La da da dee 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 dee. <laughs> you know, speaking of, uh, of uh, you know that there are countries that are so small, that really are so small that it's impossible for a jet plane to land on them. I mean, you touch down on one border and you roll out and you're in the next country. 
So, you know, you, you, you guys are complaining about something that nobody can do nothing about. La da da dee dee dee. 73, 73, 73. See the 1973 cars, hundreds of them all under one roof at the Greater New York Automobile Show in the New York Coliseum. The most impressive showing of brand new U.S. models ever assembled. Exciting imports, too, at the supermarket of the auto world. See, compare, and price the newest things on wheels. After you eye them, buy them at the show or your dealer's showroom. Bring the family for a carload of fun and excitement at the Greater New York Automobile Show, New York Coliseum, now through November 12th. Now, friends, get set for that rugged winter driving ahead. You know, when the mayor forgets to send out all them little yellow trucks and all that stuff. So you can get ready. You can buy yourself a set of fantastic winter tires, the general winter tires, for as low as thirty-seven ninety a pair. And they're great. they got big spikes on them, and they're round, and they're beautiful, and they smell good, and they're very sexy. These are jet, uh, the general jet-type winter tires. And incidentally, the name of them is the Jet Air 3. And the winter cleat, uh, the general's rugged four-rib snow tire. got four ribs instead of like all them others, you know. In Brooklyn, see Steve at Gannon Tire Company, 6502 Bay Parkway. Or as it's pronounced over there, Parkway. La da da dee dee dee. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Pick your teeth with a gold toothbrush. La da dee 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 dee. Well, I was going to say that I, I saw this guy do this little tricky thing, and, I, and I'm hoping to see it appear on television. He was doing a. <laughs> it's funny. He was doing a, a. It was a commercial. They were recording in the next studio. See, I, I'm in the studio, and we're working on a commercial, a whole big thing. There's a lot of guys running around and stopwatches, and they're running the film over and over again, you know. And it's quite exciting. You've been in one of those things, Jerry. They're quite quite a thing. You haven't been in, in any of the match sessions, though, with the films and all. That's something else. So, anyway, the films are gone. And, and uh, so we take a five-minute break. And uh, so I, I wander around. And in the next studio, I see they're doing another one. Of course, like most of these studios are going night and day. And I go in the next studio. And here's this uh, whole crowd of the same-looking guys. They all look the same. There's, there's two or three... Uh, uh, short, fat guys with thick glasses and long hair, very long hair. And uh, they got stopwatches, and they keep calling up the home office, whoever the home office, you know, the agency, back at the shop. I check, you know, they're changing word, like from as to to or something like that. They have to call five, six guys. Clear, clear legal, the whole bit, see. So anyway, uh, he's the. <laughs> I walk in there, and they're playing this commercial. Well, this commercial is for a... A, 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 uh, I will not tell you the name of it. Let's put it this way. It's for a gigantic oil company. It's an enormous, you know, big, famous oil company. And they have bought, uh, you know, the tremendous uh, production facilities. And they're turning themselves out a, a 90-second, uh, uh, it's a, what they call in the trade, there's a term in the trade called uh, institutional commercial, which is not a direct sell. You know, direct sell commercial says, uh, you go out and buy them and we'll give you a free glass with a monkey on the top of it. You go out and get it now. It's at your gas station today, now. That's called a, you know, that's a selling commercial. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's the, the one with the hook or the weenie. Uh, now, uh, there's another type of commercial, and that's the institutional commercial, which is really basically a commercial to tell you what great guys they are. See, they're not trying to sell. Give me a little of music. Here's the way it goes. Uh, well, I'll show you how it goes. International Widget Corporation and all of its affiliated branches takes great pleasure tonight in presenting the Sirius Television Hour. And we take this opportunity to remind you that standing next to your light switch all over this great nation of ours 
with its great red, white, and blue flag flying over a free people, stands the international widget repairman, ready and able, willing and dedicating his life to service. Service for a free, for a richer America. As part of its vast public service programming, the International Widget Corporation and all of its affiliate and overseas branches takes great pleasure tonight in presenting uh, poetry readings on the serious television hour. Of course, the picture shows fields of waving grain and stalwart international widget repairmen marching forth to deal with the bad fuses and stuff. <laughs> okay. Now, that's a... Uh, that's not bad, was it? Reset that there, will you please, uh, George? And while you're doing that, I'd like to do a nice little uh, spot here for you. We just did the... General, General Tire, General, General Tire. Let's see, we got the uh, House of Chan. Yes. House of Chan. Have you noticed that it's ever since I, I got the House of Chan as a sponsor that I've grown a Fu Manchu mustache? Looks good on me. Although a true Fu Manchu mustache is not like this. People who call a Fu Manchu... Yeah, Fu Manchu mustache hangs down roughly to your belly button. A real Fu Manchu mustache is... is he, you know, he, he made it long, and then it hung down in two long strands. Now, the thing about Fu Manchu that was far more interesting than his mustache, to those of you who are Fu Manchu students, you, of course, realize what this uh, what I'm saying, uh, that uh, Fu Manchu, his mustache, you know, people accepted that, uh, the Fu Manchu fans. But what really got them was what? What did Fu Manchu have, a physical characteristic? <laughs> well, I'm a student of this esoterica. Uh, he had two outstanding physical characteristics. Three, actually, in descending order of importance. One thing, uh, Fu Manchu had jade green eyes that glowed with the deep inner lumescence of the innermost circle of hell. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, he had pupils of his eyes that worked like snake's eyes. You know how a snake's eyes makes a little slit? Have you seen the way the eyes of a, of a cat or a snake, when you shine a light and they get that little slit and it goes up and down, and, and uh, there's a membrane that closes over, over the snake's eyes? Have you seen that? They don't have eyelids like you do, you know. Uh, they have a little membrane. Well, that's the way his eyes worked. Fantastic. Uh, not only that, he, he was known for his enormously long curling fingernails. He had these great fingernails. So if you're going to go to Fu Manchu route, I mean, friend, I mean, if you're a real dude type and you're going to go all the way, you know, Fu Manchu, you got to get them long fingernails that's about a foot and a half long, you know. Oh, wouldn't that go over at the chock full of nuts someday? <laughs> hey, and uh, he also, there's another thing about him. He, he, had, he had these high cheekbones, see, and he had this long head, and his skin was the color of aged, in fact, ancient parchment. And he, his, his age... Was uh, was totally undetectable. He looked like he could be a thousand years old, and yet he looked like he had fantastic energy. And so, Doctor Fu Manchu was, uh, you know, he's quite a thing to deal with. You don't just walk up to him and say, "Look, uh, I'd like to borrow five from you," you know, fool. No way. Especially since he had these man-eating toadstools that he grew. So he grew man-eating fungi. It's a hobby, and everybody has to have a hobby. And uh, ever since I've gotten the House of Chan, I'm gotten very involved in the Fu Manchu world because, you know, they serve one of Fu Manchu's favorite dishes. Uh, very few of you know that he, that, that he has a favorite dish. And uh, 
I'm not going to tell you what it is. You just go in and ask the waiter. It'd say, bring the bring the Fu Manchu special. It'll knock your head right off. Fantastic. Got fungi in it. But then, nevertheless, Fu Manchu uh, used to, when he lived in New York and was going to school as an undergraduate, and by the way, he did, um, did his undergraduate work here in New York. He is a doctor, you know, Dr. Manchu. Uh, he spent a lot of his time at the, at the where'd he go? He went to Seton Hall, as a matter of fact. Uh, he spent a lot of his time at uh, at uh, Chan, the House of Chan, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, and you get down there and enjoy some of their great food. They're open uh, seven days a week, by the way, till midnight. And uh, if you have to make a curtain, you know, like you're going to do something real important in the theater tonight, uh, you tell them that you got to make a curtain. They'll come. They'll lay it on you real quick. Yadatu, that's the f- House of Chan. This is W O R New York. Now, you all set now? Uh, <laughs> you want to hear what that guy did? Anyway, I go in this in this in this uh, studio, see, and I think we ought to take uh, recognition of this uh, this bit of talent that was uh, going uh, literally going on song. See, I go in the studio, and all these guys are standing around. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, oh yes, oh yes, uh, yes. That's right. Earl doesn't talk about it much. Uh, Earl Earl is a distant relative of Fu Manchu. A distant relative. Their dimensions are somewhat different. Fu Manchu was tall and aquiline. You know, it's a great word, aquiline. That you cannot say Earl Dowd is aquiline. Uh, aquiline means a sharp featured. You know, like a razor. Uh, Earl's mind is sharp like a razor, but uh, not uh, not much else. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's true. He's a distant rel- relative of the doctor, and uh, his hair is a little like Fu Manchu's. And, of course, Earl used to raise poison fungi, too, at one time. That was before his divorce and his subsequent remarriage, but it worked out pretty good. I mean, the second one, the first one, oh, bad news. You know, with the fungi and all. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I personally uh, think that the humor, you know, is, can, can be a sneaky thing. And I go into the studio, and uh, I'm, I'm watching these guys... Mix. Now, if you don't know what mix is, I'll have to explain it to you. Mix means to take the voice and the various voice tracks and maybe actors and so on, and you run them together in a, in, a, in, a, in a process where the music is mixed with the voices and the picture and the whole bit. See, it's the final stage of a commercial. That means it's already now on its way out to uh, your little 12-inch set. <laughs> I mean, it's damn near done. So they're in there working away, see, and, and they've got the... They've got the background music turned up, tremendous background music, and it's violins, and you can hear cellos playing, and oboes and flutes, and uh, this great oil company has sponsored this whole thing, see, and, and uh, on the screen, you see uh, the, the sun coming up over the sea, and you see the brave oil guys are, are going out to, to search for more oil to keep the world going, you know, it's a great commercial, beautiful commercial, and I stood in there for a couple of seconds watching this thing. And it suddenly hit me. That music was very familiar. Now, remember, it's the music for a big oil company, right? <laughs> you know, it's a big oil company. And, and it's original music. So I said to one of the guys, I didn't know who I was. I said, hey, uh, uh, fella. And he said, yeah. I said, uh, who wrote the music there? That's uh, kind of interesting. What's that music? He said, oh, it's original. It's original, Jack. Uh, we, when I got this high-priced composer to turn it out for us, it's original stuff. Uh, don't worry. He figured out from ASCAP or something. So he says, don't worry. We got all the rights to it. It's okay. I said, you're going to use that? He said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> They're playing this. 
It was very familiar to me, see. And then it hit me. That sneaky composer had interjected themes, just little quotations from it. He didn't steal it. He made enough of a quotation from another piece of music for you to know what he was saying. He was making quotations from the theme music to King Kong. King Kong accompanying this uh, beautiful oil company. <laughs> now, if you know anything about King Kong, one thing a big conglomerate oil company does not want to be compared to is King Kong. Moses walking, uh, you know, across the desert, yes. Uh, the Red Sea parting, maybe yes. But the King Kong, no. <laughs> and I laughed, you know, I walked out. I says, you know, everywhere you go, there's guys making little digs, you know. They, they're, uh, oh, you, you just can't, uh, you just can't, uh, you know, fight it off. I mean, it's, it's happening every place. Well, I, I, uh, thinking about this scene, the, the, the sneaky people everywhere you go. Uh, that they're that they're making their little statements one way or another. Uh, did did I tell you about the time I go down to? Uh, I was down in Florida here a couple of months back, and some guy was flying a kite. Uh, he's standing on the street there. See, now you can't you can't tell this guy he can't fly the kite. He's got a actually he's standing in a little park off to one side there. You know by the street there, and I'm driving along. I see this guy. See, and uh, he's got a kite, and this kite. This kite is, is up in the air. It's about, the, you know, about 5,500 feet or something. It's standing up there, see? And it's a pretty big kite. And it's red. You could hardly miss this kite. It's a very red kite. It's got a tail flapping underneath it, see? And I look up the kite. You know, you, it, you tend to do that when you see a kite flying. You tend to look up at it, you know? And I look up there and I see this kite, see? And I see it's got big letters printed all over it in white. It's really standing out. You can't miss the letters. A big white sign that's painted on the kite. And it says, this hotel is a rotten, crummy flea bag. <laughs> it's also a jip joint. And he had an arrow pointing down. And here he is flying. It's going across the street. And right under it, you see this motel. <laughs> you know, I said to myself, well, now there's a guy that used the old noodle, you know. He's using modern technology. He's, this guy, he's not just walking around out in front with a little piece of cardboard stuck on his back. You know, he's flying a kite, man. You couldn't help but see it. <laughs> and he had a big white arrow pointed down. <laughs> and there it is. You couldn't miss it. You know, it's pointing. There's the only hotel around it. It's pointing down at it. And I imagine it didn't do much for business, but it sure got a lot of laughs locally, you know. So uh, everywhere you go, you know, guys are, are, are getting sneaky. It's like the bumper sticker industry. It's getting to be very big. As you know, the bumper sticker industry, and everybody's plumping for his own private little thing, you know, on the bumper sticker. I mean, you see these guys, think snow, think snow, get out of here, the back of my hand, you think snow. You've seen that one, right? Think snow. They have one that says, think summer. They have all thousands of, you know, think uh, think this, think this, think salami, uh, think pastrami, you know, think clean thoughts. And they're all, all bumper stickers. Well, I saw this one that says, think snow. And uh, some guy is driving along past me. He's in the guy ahead of me, the Think Snow Cuckoo. You know, he's driving along in front of me there. And uh, some guy passes me up, see, and he sees the Think Snow thing. And with that, he roars right past the Think Snow guy. And then I see why he did it. He roars right past, cuts him off, see, so the guy couldn't help but see him. And he's got a bumper sticker that says, Think Slush. <laughs> think Slush. <laughs> oh, you know. 
Well, you, everywhere you go, you, 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 yeah, the, the little chipping and the little fighting is going on. It just never stops. I think it's time for us to hit, hit him with a Castro. What do you say? Hit him with a goodie. It takes a lot to be number one. That's not just that Castro sells top-quality convertible furniture for less. It's important to understand why. Castro manufactures in its own six factories. Castro sells in its own 65 showrooms, and Castro delivers in its own trucks. Don't miss the outstanding values in Castro's huge election week sale. Save on hundreds of Castro convertible sofas, sectionals, love seats, convertible tables, high risers, ottomans, and chairs, loungers, tables, lamps, and accessories. At Castro, 41 years of know-how goes into the manufacture of every single Castro convertible. Each features Castro's own patented feather lift mechanism, so easy to open, even a child can do it, and you sleep on a separate inner spring or foam mattress for relaxing sleep. Hurry into the nearest Castro showroom now and invest in luxury during the spectacular election week sale. Don't forget, Castro has the world's largest selection of beautiful convertible furniture today and tomorrow only at all Castro showrooms. Never a dry eye when Barry gets up there to perform. I'm telling you, he wrenches every last drop of emotion. It's not every guy that can can start to, you know, can weep and feel it from the heart when you're talking about folding day pads. Oh, Barry, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, but what really makes Shepard sing, of course, are these fantastic new general tires, these new uh, uh, snow tires. I mean, either they got a hell of a lot of snow tires to sell... Or, uh, or I don't know. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who are snow tire fans, we'd like to recommend you take a look at the General Tires uh, model. Uh, it's called the General Winter Cleat. And you know their famous slogan, which many guys have had tattooed right on them. You know, I know one guy that's got it hemstitched into his jockey shorts. It reminds him of life. You know, it says, you go in snow or General pays the dough. Toe. Let's see. In Greenwich, see Luke Glasso, State Line Tire. A 468 West Putnam. Now, that's a nice town, you know, West Putnam. It's a great town. You ought to go to East Putnam once. That's really, it's deteriorating, but it used to be nice. A lot of tee, 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 tee. That's a little grasso. Gasso, grasso. Glasso. Tee, 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 tee. He's the little short one with the cigar, so watch out for him. Let's see. Uh, and he's got tough friends, so don't get smart. Now, we have a, what is this, Barnum and Bailey Circus there? You got a circus thing going there? Wrangling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus presents the most spectacular performance in the history of the greatest show on earth. Hey, I might see the greatest show on earth. Enjoy mammoth elephants and hilarious clowns. Marvel at the astonishing aerial ballet. Over 500 performers and animals and 30 acts never before (laughs) seen in America. Happiness is the 102nd edition of Wrangling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. We have a tag, I know. Yeah, we got 422 tags here, friends. We got more tags here than the average tiger walking around the Barnum and Bailey Circus has got fleas. Let's see. Uh, key phrases? Uh, oh, I see. No, that isn't ours. All right, you find the tag. I, I don't have it. I'm sure it's here. Ah, here it is, this beautiful little tag. I'm sure you've been excitedly waiting for it. The greatest show on Earth makes its first Long Island showing in 16 years at Nassau Coliseum, now through Sunday, November 12th. You can buy your tickets at Nassau Coliseum box office or any Ticketron outlet. Bum, ba dum bum Would you please hit the American Motors button, please? 
Hi, this is Tex Ritter again for your New York, New Jersey, American Motors dealers. And they're all going to be at the Greater New York Auto Show November the 4th through November the 12th at the New York Coliseum. You'll see why AMC sales are up 46% when you see the star cars of this show. AMC Gremlin, Hornet, Javelin, Matador, Ambassador, and the show-stopping Trans AM Victory Javelin AMX. You can own this show car because it's on sale at every AMC dealer's showroom. And your AMC dealer has money-saving tickets for you for the auto show. Get your tickets and get a look at AMC 73. Coming on strong. See your New York, New Jersey, American Motors dealers now. And tell them uh, the tech sent you. Well, all right. This is one of your favorite tags, apparently. Stop at the American Motors exhibit at the New York Auto Show on Friday, November 10th, and see Tex Ritter in person. My God, don't feed him no peanuts. <laughs> Tex, mighty, 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 he's mighty sensitive about that. He told me them, and them peanuts and baby Ruth bars, he'd love to come over and hit you on the top of the head with a guitar. 73, See the 1973 cars, hundreds of them, all under one roof at the Greater New York Automobile Show in the New York Coliseum. The most impressive showing of brand new U.S. models ever assembled. Exciting imports, too, at the supermarket of the auto world. See, compare, and price the newest things on wheels. After you eye them, buy them at the show or your dealer's showroom. Bring the family for a carload of fun and excitement at the Greater New York Automobile Show, New York Coliseum, now through November 12th. Now, uh, may I get back and, uh, you know, I have to get back to reality here. Various other sneaky people here. Uh, here, you, listen to this one now. Now, here, I want to just show you everywhere you go, there's guys that are fighting. Oh, they're not taking it, laying down. Listen to this one. Kid writes me a note. Shepard? You think you had this a kid writing, see? And he even has the name of his school printed on the paper, so this kid's bucking for something. Says, uh, yeah, that's an old, that's an old, uh, that's an old fact. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I recognize this in the Army right away. Any guy that wrote to anybody and he puts, uh, you know, stationery on the front of his letters, you know, with cross signal flags and all that stuff, you know, picturesque Camp Watanabe, so forth, that guy was bucking. I mean, uh, I used to go get this real cheap USO stationery that they made out of, you know, reclaimed paper towels and they send it out. I never bought any of that stuff with a cross. Now I'm sorry I didn't, you know. I'd love to have some of that terrible stationery to remind me of worse days. It says, uh, Shepard, uh, you think you had a, a nutty schooling methods when you were a kid? He says, you have not been to a modern grade school lately. He said, uh, I, to, uh, I want to tell you one of the daily incidents which happened in my school. He said, this is a fact. This actually happened. Now, this kid's not being funny because I've gotten letters before from this kid, and every time his stuff is checked out. This is true. This is what happened to him in his school. This incident uh, took place in a seventh-grade English class of a private school. Okay, this is an elegant school. He says, it was about 9.45. As I say, everywhere you look, Guys are getting their little digs in at the, you know, the world, right? He said it was about 9.45 on a Monday morning. Everyone was sitting around drowsy, you know. Uh, they didn't get enough sleep over the weekend watching football games and drinking and hollering. You know, kids, seventh grade, you know, they do a lot of stuff you didn't do, friend. You know, bourbon and all that. Suddenly, 
I will change the name here. The kid has the real names. That's going to get me in the slam. Uh, so I'm going to use a special name. Suddenly, Mr. Gumpox, another English teacher, comes in through the door. See, this kid's sitting in the English class. And suddenly, Mr. Gumpox, another English teacher, comes in through the door with a large box in his hands and starts yelling at Miss Stembottom, Miss Ruthie Stembottom, who was our teacher, about some books she was supposed to get him the week before. Well, we're all sitting there watching. I'm quoting the kid, you know. And uh, they argued about uh, two or three minutes until Mr. Aschenschlager, another English teacher, comes in and says, What's going on here? You're disturbing my class. Well, at that, uh, Mr. Gumpox explained the situation to Mr. Aschenschlager. And at that point, Mr. Aschenschlager turned to Miss Stembottom and said the following, You'd better watch out now. He has a mean temper. You bet I do, cried Mr. Stem with Mr. Aschenschlager. With that, that's the first guy, see, uh, Mr. Gumpox. You bet I do, yelled Mr. Gumpox. With that, in front of the class, he opened the box he had been carrying all this time and pulled out a chocolate cream pie. And in a split second, it was flying across the room and whack, right in Miss Stembottom's face, completely coated with chocolate cream pie. Miss Stembottom instantly then chased both men out of the room. And we sat there. <laughs> well, now, you know, I just... He says, you top that one, friend. Well, he says, this actually happened. And he says, the names are real. And he says, you can call a school and I'll tell you about it. Well, obviously, this is a set-up bit. Uh, you know, obviously, Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Gumpox got together with Mr. Aschenschlager and Miss Stembottom and says, really pull one on these kids, you know. They had give them something to talk about the rest of their lives. <laughs> and they really pulled it, you know. Oh, listen, uh, I'll tell you, I saw, uh, you know, you, 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 if, you, if, you watch, uh, if you watch around you, you see these little things happening all the time, these little things. Did I tell you about the time I go in this restaurant one day? I actually saw this happen. Uh, now, you see these things in the movies. You don't actually see them happen in real life. And then you wonder whether they're deliberate or not. In other words, does art imitate life or does, you know, the old canard? I'm sitting in a, in a restaurant, a fancy restaurant, and there's a guy who's really giving this waiter a, a real bad time. He's sitting about two tables away, and there's always one guy, you know. When he's, what, what, come on now, what are you doing? You, you call this roast beef? Look at that. That's nothing but bristle. Oh, take it back, will you? Come on on. And I don't have no time. Now get moving here. So the waiter keeps screaming back and forth. Well, this guy apparently ordered this dish, and the waiter's getting bugged. And, of course, everybody else is getting bugged around him. And if you're curious, it did not happen in New York. This happened in Chicago. It happened in one of those elegant restaurants in Chicago. In fact, it happened in a restaurant. Well, I won't even tell you the name of it. It's a famous restaurant. that it, Its fame comes from the fact, one, it's extremely expensive. You have to make a reservation like six months in advance. And it's up on the 79th floor of this building. So you look out. It's all glass. And you look out over the whole city. See, it's fantastic. So <laughs> here we are all. Everybody's elegant. Their waiters are pushing little carts, you know, with pears and apples and grapes and all that stuff on them and wine. And uh, this guy is really making a horse's you-know-what of himself. See, he's, he said, look at this. You call this. He had one of these loud, carrying voices say, you call this beef? <laughs> Why, that's nothing but look at it, the gristle running out to the get the. And, of course, the piece of beef he had looked a fantastic piece, see. So he had no claim to yelling. He's just doing it. He loves to be. Some guys like to pretend they're big shots. 
by raising hell with waiters and waitresses and guys that work gas pumps, you know, stuff like that. You know, the, the smaller the guy, the louder the mouth is an old slogan the old man had. He said, it's the smaller the guy, the louder the mouth, and watch out for him, especially if he has a mustache and wears a bow tie. So, <laughs> so this, this is a smart guy is going on. You know, he says, well, uh, look at it. Uh, uh, come on now, waiter, we don't have all day. We've been sitting here now since 3 o'clock. And uh, how about bringing out the desserts? Well, with that, the waiter goes back into this. You can see he's got this bugged look on his face. Well, he comes back out, and I saw it out of the corner of my eye. I actually saw the whole scene. The waiter comes around the, the table. See, he's got, he's got a big tray. Comes around the table, and he's got all this, this uh, pastry and all this jazz on it, see? And so this lady picks a piece of pastry, and another guy picks a piece of pastry. And with, the, with that point, the waiter swings the tray, and an entire ball. It just went, lands right on this guy's head. And it's fantastic. An entire bowl of chocolate mousse. You know what is a chocolate mousse, friends? Well, it doesn't go good with anything you wear. And this guy's sitting there with a bowl of chocolate mousse on his on his head. And instantly the head waiter comes, oh, my sir, I'm so sorry, sir. And they're all pretending like they're sorry. And I could just see these guys, it's so set up, man. They have put this character through the ringer. And there's chocolate mousse coming down out of his ears. And, of course, this is the final. He, he He's so purple, he doesn't know what to say. It's like, oh, excuse me, sir. And they're dushing, you know, they're brushing him off. But, the you know, the damage had been done. The entire room is laughing. No way to get that back. See, carbon tetrachloride will take out the stains, but carbon tet don't take out those those horse laughs. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. It's right out of Charlie Chaplin. Wow. Let's see. Do we have another General Tire? How about American Motors? Oh, General Tire. Okay. We'll do the last General Tire. I know that you've been waiting out there for me to tell you about General Tire again. And, uh, you know, I do it so good. And I'd like to tell you about General's Jet Air 3. Oh, let's see. You know, there's menage a trois. That can be exciting. Or don't you know what that means? Well, we'll give you time to look that up, friends. By the time you've looked it up, they'll probably be raiding your house. Mix or match the Jet Air 3. Uh, yes, sir. That's uh, General's famous four-ply replacement tire and a winter cleat. Their rugged four-rib snow tire. And don't forget their, their promise. You go in snow or General pays the toe. In Brooklyn, uh... No, let's let's hit Freeport tonight, huh? In Freeport, ask for John or Jack Miles, J and J Miles Rubber Company, one sixty East Merrick Road. There, that's pretty good. We got them all, didn't we? Oh, I've I've uh, I've seen some uh, you know bad things. Some of these things I can't even tell you on the air because it would give guys, it would give guys uh you know ideas. I don't want to give anybody any ideas. Uh, you know, bad stuff like like uh, for example, I mean I'll tell you some. Some bad tricks. I've seen. Of course, all of this is done to strike back at civilization. And again, going right back to the beginning of the show, as I said, tonight we are saluting sneaky people. And uh, one of my favorite sneaky people was an engineer whom I worked with. And I'll guarantee you this bit uh, was taken by a writer because I told this story on the air years ago. And uh, by, you know, the, the, have you ever seen The New Yorker? Magazine, they had this little funny coincidence department where uh, they'll print a piece out of a book and then a new book has come out that's exactly the same. Somebody is, uh, you know, uh, snitched a little bit from the other book. That's the funny coincidence department. 
Well, about a year after, and that's about how long it takes to have a book published, you know, printed and published and written and all. About a year after I told this story on the air, this appeared in the writings of one of America's best black comic humorists. He's supposed to be, you know, black humor and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, that was funny coincidence department, but it was one of the one of the great strikes I've seen against, um, you know, against mankind. Uh, really a great strike. This engineer friend of mine, he worked in this TV station. I was in this TV station working too, see. And nothing can get more boring than if you're working in a television station. Now, a lot of you people think, gee, wouldn't it be great? But the, you'd be surprised at how boring it gets hour after day after day. All the days seem the same. It goes on and on and on. And so he was on late at night, this engineer. And every night, we used to have on the station an old movie. They call it something like premiere movie time. You know, they always had this jazzy name. But what it really was, was cheap cockamamie movie time. They used to get these movies for about a dollar and a half a play, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they were Class D movies, even the, the days when, uh, you know, Class D movies were bad. So, anyway, we had these old, terrible movies. And uh, there, a lot of them were, were uh, very sentimental, very, you know, like soldiers returning home on their crutches, uh, you know, the, all that stuff. And they had, they had the cowboys singing. Dick Ferran was in a lot of them. He was always singing and playing his guitar. And so Bob got to fooling around one night. And he was, a, he was a student at the university there, Cincinnati. And uh, he was a student of psychology, actually uh, clinical psychology. And he discovered some very interesting things about perception. Now, that, that gets very quite serious. <laughs> and he discovered uh, a lot of things about perception. He was working on, on how long it takes you to perceive something. If an incident occurs across the street from you, and it happens so fast, it's liable to not even... Uh, make a dent in your brain. It's liable not even to, to register. It takes a certain length of time for perception to work. See? So he figured it out. And he did a lot of experimenting, and then he, he, he disappeared into his mad scientist laboratory. And every night for about a month, Bob, he'd gotten himself a, a, a whole library of films, and he was cutting pieces out of these films, and he was editing them into our feature premiere film uh, you know, big two-star gold final of the night. And he would edit them in at very crucial spots. But the piece that he would edit in was never any longer than like, uh, oh, eight frames. It's about, the, you know, about a half a second. Zap, would go by. <laughs> well, what he was using were some of the raunchiest, hairiest, smelliest, uh, richest, ripest pornies I've ever seen in my life. He got a hold of some fantastic pornographic films, and he edited them into the late movie. Well, people would sit there, see, and, and you had to know it was there to actually see it. But if you didn't know that it was there, you just got this impression. What the hell? What, what was that? What was that? And then you think, oh, I'm getting sick. It's, it's, it's in my head, because by now, you know, Shirley Temple's back on the screen. She's like, <laughs> oh, no, no. And, and, and he did this for months. <laughs> Never any complaints. Except that we did notice one thing. The ratings on the late movies went up. People were enjoying them more. They didn't know why. They were getting them more out of them, you know? At the <laughs> well, of course, it had to happen. Uh, one night, it did, it did occur. Uh, poor... Poor Bob, it, it just had to happen. Uh, Bob, uh, you know, he, he had bad, one of these bad things happen. Uh, he was off that night, 
And uh, unfortunately, one of the films that he had doctored was now replaying for the ninth time. And uh, it's going along good. And Bob had, this was terrible tragedy, had made a bad splice. And uh, we're in the middle of the film, and the, the engineer who was on didn't even know it. You know, he didn't know that Bob was doing this to films. He just put the you know, film on. And suddenly, right in the middle of one of Bob's cuts, it went, <laughs> and it stopped right there. Well, all I got to say is that the, the ratings, uh, the, the, the such excitement at Cincinnati, people are calling up. And, of course, what was made it even sadder was that the engineer who was on duty, instead of turning it down quick and putting on a sign, one moment, please, he's out the coffee. He's walked down the hall, seen he's going... And there is that... Well, I, I, I just want to tell you, it's one of the most exciting scenes ever seen on television, anywhere. And, of course, there was an investigation, a lot of yelling and hollering. A lot of sneaking around, a lot of laughing behind the doors and stuff like that. But they never did capture Bob. They never caught him. No, 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 they couldn't lay it on him. And it just was decided then at that time that uh, that's what was happening in Hollywood, that Hollywood must have done that, you know. <laughs> hey, do you remember a couple of years ago when they were talking about all these subliminal commercials they were going to put into things? Did they ever do it? I guess if they did, they wouldn't tell you, right? I mean, that's why maybe we've been doing some nutty things lately, you know? Maybe that's why you went out and got them rubber roller skates the other day, George. It, uh, absolutely without any reason, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, would you bring it on there, please, large, George? This terrible piece of music. So tonight, as part of our vast public service programming, we have saluted a great uh, and uh, yet constantly moiling... Uh, a tiny minority among the great body of, of, of walking around Americans. We have saluted the sneaky people among us who are laying it on you every conceivable possible way they could. In every way. Yes, indeed. Has it occurred to you that you might have been the victim of about at least nine practical jokes today and never knew it? You know, you come in your office and call Mr. Bullard quick, important. You say, who's Bullard? I don't know. He's from uh, 20th Century Fox. And, uh... You never hear about it. He never calls back. Yes, fame, that elusive, that, that, that goddess that eludes all of us constantly. Oh, yes, this is WOR, of course. You stay tuned for Lester Smith. He's got the news. News and detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. President Nixon's special envoy, General Alexander Haig, has arrived in Saigon and is now set to discuss with South Vietnam's President Chu the administration's latest moves to try to gain a Vietnam peace settlement. The general is expected to make another administration try to convince Chu to accept the draft agreement with Hanoi. President Chu says that agreement is a sellout and a surrender to the communists. Bombing missions today by U.S. B-52s were along North Vietnam's coastline. The targets were more supply depots and resupplies posts used by the North Vietnamese forces in South Vietnam. Meanwhile, a South Vietnamese training camp was attacked tonight. About 2,700 tons of ammunition exploded when mortar shells hit the camp near Da Nang. Unidentified sources in the Pentagon confirmed today that the United States military is assembling a mine-sweeping force to possibly remove the floating explosives from North Vietnamese harbors. The sources said airborne minesweeper units and the helicopter carrier Leachon have been ordered from their Norfolk, Virginia base to join naval mine sweepers already in the Pacific. Another weapon in use in Indochina combat 
is apparently going to remain the F-111. Today, the Air Force defended the use of the $15 million fighter bomber for combat, despite three unexplained losses of F-11 since it was returned to Indochina duty. Senator William Proxmire, the head of the Joint Congressional Economic Committee, said the F-111 should be removed from combat pending an independent evaluation of the ability to operate. But the Air Force said it had no intention of grounding the F-111. The list of metropolitan area strikes is getting longer. Today, some members of a New York restaurant employees union began a walkout after their union, Local One, hotel and restaurant employees, failed to reach a new contract agreement with the League of Restaurants of New York. Thirty restaurants were forced to close down when their waiters, barmen, and kitchen workers left. Other restaurants remained open with management doing the work. Among the closed places was Delmonico's in Lower Manhattan. Its owner, Mario Tucci, explained why the Restaurant League could not settle for a higher wage contract with the restaurant employees. Well, without any doubt, the better restaurants will have to close. Uh, the situation as it is even today, without any more increases, is uh, too demanding and almost impossible. Uh, labor costs are somewhere around the 47% uh, cost. Uh, the better restaurants can't by any means support this kind of labor. And there's a decline in business, and there's a, a minimum to what you can charge. I think we've already reached the peak. So without any doubt, even just staying the way it is today, it was uh, a big problem. The obvious thing to do before going out to dine is to call your favorite restaurant and find out if it's still open. Other strikes, the truck drivers against the bakeries and against the wholesale liquor dealers are still in effect. More news after this. It's free golf and family fun holiday vacation time at Mickey Rooney's Downingtown Inn. Three, four, five days or more of unlimited free golf and gourmet dining luxury from only $49 per person complete. Just two hours from New York and you're playing free golf on Downingtown's 18-hole championship course. Or horseback riding or ice skating, free tennis, free miniature golf, free Olympic indoor swimming pool. There's the fun and game room, the coffee and snacks lounge, the swinging pussycat lounge, free dancing day and night with four orchestras, latest movies, superstar entertainment in the starlight room, free honeymooners and second honeymooners gifts at Downingtown Inn, Route 30, Exit 23, Pennsylvania Turnpike. Take advantage of Downingtown's specially low Sunday to Friday and family package rates reserved now for Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Call W 200 right now. Ask for Miss Betsy. That's W 200 or write Miss Betsy, Downingtown Inn, Downingtown, Pennsylvania, for free brochure. This week, Mickey's stars of the week are Tim Rooney and the Monte Carlos. WR, radio news time, four and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. Another alleged case of taking New York City for a money ride. Today, City Investigations Commissioner Robert Ruskin announced that Dr. Efren Ramirez had used the state Medicaid program to charge the city for more than $28,000 in payments for psychiatric services the doctor never gave. Dr. Ramirez, his office is at 1200 Fifth Avenue and was formerly head of the city's addiction services agency, he's charged with getting payment for services that allegedly were not given to residents of a drug rehabilitation center. Dr. Ramirez was also suspended from further participation in the Medicaid program. Over in New Jersey, a baby doctor is charged with Medicaid fraud. W.R.'s Ed Nash reports. A 46-count indictment has been handed up against a Long Branch pediatrician who was charged with fraudulent Medicaid practices. 
The Monmouth County Grand Jury indictment accuses Dr. Armand Maisie of filing Medicaid bills for 362 patient visits, which he never performed. Criminal Justice Director Evan...